Hey guys, I'm excited today. I have uh, Ryan Rominger. Um, he's a friend of my teacher, Elizabeth Sabet, who I had on the podcast a while back. Um, I was looking for someone to talk about near-death experiences, and Elizabeth recommended him to me. And so we got to talking and um, thought that uh, we would have two episodes, um, and we'll have one on near-death experiences later. Um, but this one's going to focus more on uh, Ryan's story and uh, awakening experience or spiritual emergency, uh, many different names. Uh, so, Ryan, you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Sure, yeah. My name is uh, Ryan, as you just mentioned. Um, I am an experiencer from 12th childhood as well as uh, in adulthood. I had kind of a big experience uh, in my 20s, early 20s while I was going to grad school. So professionally, I am a psychologist and a counselor, a therapist. And so my first two degrees are in transpersonal psychology, my master's and PhD, and my second master's is in clinical mental health counseling. So uh, I can go into more history if you want than that, you know. Yeah, so um, you worked at Assist with Elizabeth. Uh, what, what is that? Uh, ASSIST, the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences, is what ASSIST stands for. And it's an organization that is focused on um, teaching professionals, so therapists, spiritual directors, coaches, uh, and now also peer uh, leaders, how to work with an individual who's had a spiritual experience that they're trying to integrate, they're trying to cope with in some way. And uh, it was really uh, evolved out of some early uh, meetings at an organization called IANS, which is an organization focused on near-death experiences, mm -hmm. International Association of Near-Death Studies. And they, at their conferences, very much focused on the academic side. And Yolaine Stout, the founder of ASSIST, and some others where I started having meetings and said, you know what, we really want to focus on professionals and training the professionals how to deal with these types of experiences. Because that's really the first line. Um, uh, it's the place where uh, those who've had experiences are really going to come into contact. Is those, um, And so we were training MDs, we were training therapists, you know, all across the board. So it was actually quite fun, an enjoyable group. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Obviously, that's, that's uh, near and dear to my heart since I had my own experience and uh, went to the psych ward. And, you know, it'd be nice to have known or um, had the help of uh, assist in that respect. So I think what y'all do is uh, really great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit, talk about your story and let's get into it? Sure, sure. Um <clears throat> My story really starts with my first memories, oddly enough. Um, some of my very earliest memories are of kind of being in this otherworldly place and playing with other children, jumping across the corner of a pond and Romanesque type um, architecture, Greco-Roman architecture. And I never understood it. I wasn't aware of why this existed. It was, um, it predated some of my earliest dream memories. And I found out, um, uh, early teens that I had actually had 
what could be now classified as a near-death experience. Uh, when I was an infant, I fell off of a raft into the water off the coast of Texas. And it took him a little bit to kind of fish through the surf and get me up onto the raft. I suspect possibly that I had something like a near-death experience at that time. That's mm-hmm. that's my closest guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of resulted in, I believe, experiences throughout childhood, which were kind of different, you know, some type of meditative experiences that I had. Um, when I was a sophomore into my junior year in high school, I had an experience of a uh, light being that uh, at the time I was just starting a dating relationship with a Christian girl. And um, the experience itself was I went to sleep that night. so like every other night and I became aware that I was sitting up in bed, having this conversation with a, for what lack of a better explanation was a being of light on the other side of my room. And the conversation closed and the being, whatever it was folded in on itself and disappeared. And it had a very angelic presence. I remember the feeling of just undescribable love permeating everything. Um, Something that you might think of kind of being in the classic uh, light near-death experience, light-based near-death experience. And um, But anyway, so I became aware that that's where I was at, the light being disappeared. And... I, you know, so I was sitting there with this um, unexplainable experience. And because of the context of dating this girl at the time, uh, I classified it as, oh, I just had some sort of either angelic or, you know, Jesus experience, you know. Um, And so in the evangelical church we were going to, that's how I talked about it. Looking back, it felt more angelic, I would say, than um, kind of a, a meeting with Jesus. Mm. didn't get any visual like some people describe of uh, a Jesus experience. Um, and I do remember kind of um, from the light, some emanations outward that could be described as wings, light diffusion, something. I don't know. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, first going back to your uh, near death experience when you're young, mm-hmm. you were saying some of your earliest memories are, playing with children in this kind of like Greco-Roman landscape, would you you say, is that part of your near-death experience or kind of, um, well, how would you describe that? Like, so I think of it as that near-death experience. Okay. That it was, that was, you know, the part of me that was in the other world, the other mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. Um, during the near-death experience. Um, playing with the other children. And again, the feeling tone of that place was infused with love. It was very light, joyful, um, <clears throat> just kind of permeated everything. Um, could it have been what some people describe as between life experiences? Sure. I don't know. I, I, I can't prove it one way or the other. Um, I just know that that was the earliest experience, earliest memory that I grew up with. Mm, that's interesting and you think that opened you up kind of to the spiritual world and so you had more experiences with um like spirits or the the spirit world yeah it seemed like it 
acted as a catalyst in some way or predisposed me in some way to, um, to have experiences and kind of be oriented towards thinking about um, spirituality on some level. I was always an avid reader and um, reading things like, Buddhist texts and weird mm-hmm. things as a kid. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, my brother, I had an older brother, or still do, uh, six years older than me. And he would bring home these um, you know, other books on different religions and I would eat them up, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I was always kind of fascinated. Um, and I'm sure that shaped things as well. But, you know, even encounter ghost types of experiences and um, those types of things, I just seemed to have normal to you. Yeah, it it was, it was very normal. It was just like, Oh yeah, there's so-and-so. And And, Mm -hmm. um, I had a grandfather pass when I was um, about 12 years old. And ever since then, you know, I've had every now and then I smell cigarette smoke and beer, which is one of his classic, (laughs) what he smelled like when I was alive. Mm. Uh, And so for me, it's like, Oh, Hey grandpa, you're, you're here again. It's just, it's kind of the warp and weave of everyday life, it seems mm. like. It's just like, okay, wow. yeah, there's that. So w- was your family, were they religious or spiritual growing up? And how did that impact your views or how you thought about your experiences? Mm-hmm. So my mother's side of the family was Lutheran and my father's was Methodist. And so I grew up going to the Methodist church primarily as a kid. But we were the um, Easter and Christmas family. You know, we'd show up um, occasionally throughout the year, but primarily for large holidays. Um, And my, again, I was probably my junior year in high school. I went, I became um, involved with the evangelical church for three to four years into the beginning of my college undergraduate. Um, And, you know, so I had that influence my, my later adolescence, and uh, which you know, again shaped me into going into college. And then I went to a, a Jesuit university, uh, Gonzaga, and uh, I had Catholic influence because I minored in religion uh, there and majored in psychology. So even from that age, I was still kind of oriented towards, Hey, let's, let's figure this out either psychologically or spiritually, religiously. Mm-hmm. You know, and, All right. Um, did you talk to your family uh, or others about your experiences growing up and how did they respond to that? If so? Yeah. Um, there's actually a story that my mother likes to tell that when I was five years old, they were talking about, you know, prior life stuff and just kind of uh, young <laughs> adults talking about stuff and and I walked up to him and said oh yeah in my past life I was a fisherman <laughs> and then just walked <laughs> off wow. and they're like what you know and uh, so yeah I've, I've talked to them about these types of things um, I firmly believe the house that I grew up in which was built in between 1911 and 1913 it's an old farmstead house oh, wow. here in Montana Um, We're fifth generation farmers here in Montana. I firmly believe that that has some spirits in it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Both my brother and I had very similar experiences of encounters with something in that house. 
which we did not find out until I was about 35 and we were having uh, lunch with my mother and he described his experience. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I had the same type of experience when I was a kid. Um, and that was an encounter with a uh, kind of a um, shadow person that would come and sit on the edge of our bed and we could actually feel the depression and it felt very menacing at the time. Mm. Um, I had no clue growing up that he had that experience, but it was a bit of a shock to all of us when we both described the same exact thing. Wow. Um, but yeah, we used to talk about it. I mean, I, I think that my family was open to that anyway. <laughs> my dad for a period was a drummer in a couple of different bands, but one of the band names was Siddhartha, which is, mm. you know, Buddha. Mm-hmm, <laughs> the right. name of Buddha. So I think his, their orientation even was, Eastern in many ways, um, even with the Methodist and Lutheran background. Mm, yeah. So. That's so nice. It's so, uh, unique. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, and, and yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, yeah. Yeah. So with your experience with the light beings, um, did you, did they say anything to you? Do you, do you feel like you, they had a purpose or had a message for you or just, Hey, we're here. <laughs> Uh, well, it was, it was one being, um, and yes, I re- as I became aware that I was finishing this conversation, there was a definite message in that there was a definite specific communication, which I almost immediately forgot. It's like my, I couldn't hold it. Mm. Um, but there was something there. Mm. Um, I couldn't tell you what it was. Wow. So do you think that that was a message that was maybe meant for your like unconscious and like there was a, that that was the way it was supposed to be, or just that you were unable to hold that container, that message, or maybe the message is like too big for your logical mind at the time. I think all of the above could be possible. (laughs) Um, I, I think that with the emotional tone that was being kind of conveyed as well. I think the message was not just linguistic and verbal. It was probably multidimensional, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It was hitting me on different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And quite possibly was bigger than my consciousness could hold, Mm -hmm. particularly because I wasn't waking up. I was becoming aware that I was already awake in a conversation. So it's like my consciousness was shrinking back down oh, into my wow. body okay. that could contain right. my normal waking consciousness. I was definitely in an altered state. Right. It's kind of like, um, I'm sure a lot of people have had dream experiences. I'll, I'll wake up and I have a feeling that, that I've had a dream and I have certain feelings about it. And then I'll try to think of what the dream was and I'll have like little glimpse and pieces of it, but, you know, not the whole thing. And it's like, it's just like slipping out of my grasp, but mm-hmm. it's more of the sense and that feeling that, that is stronger that I can feel that I had this dream, but I, I can't really remember. It's just what's left of it. Um, and, and again, what you said, um, your consciousness maybe wasn't ready for it. It was too big. I, I've done meditations where um, made me very sleepy or I even fell asleep and, um, felt a lot of energy and then over time doing that same meditation i was able to feel less and less sleepy and feel like i could uh 
contained the container I was I was able to hold that and experience it while fully awake and feel very energetic um so mm-hmm. I think there's something to that it's very it's fascinating yeah and Charlie Tart talks about that in his books on altered states of consciousness about how um we can gain meaning in different altered states that is difficult to integrate into our waking conscious state. And uh, because of that, doing work with that integration process becomes important. How do we, Mm. how do we pull that, what we've learned or gained to the knowledge we've gained. And sometimes it's not just, again, linguistic knowledge. It might be a somatic body sense knowledge. It might be Mm. emotional. It might be higher self. I mean, there's so many different, layers of knowledge that it could be coming through. Yeah. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> so you, you had um, more experiences as well later on. Yeah. And um, so prog- I progressed through um, undergraduate at Gonzaga <clears throat> decided with my major in psychology and my minor in religion to pursue, you know, I was going to become a um, therapist that was spiritually oriented so I found a school that um, at the time would kind of hold that container for that. And it was the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto, California. Um, it is no longer called that. It was called Sophia University. And I don't know what their um, container for that type of work is uh, at this point. It's been some years since I've um, been back there. I know they were purchased and there were some changes to different programs. But, um, but anyway, um, that's where I decided to go and um, started grad school with the intention of being a therapist and quickly realized that um, I, at that time, wanted to do spiritual direction and expressive arts, um, combine those two rather than the clinical therapeutic piece. And um, that decision really was as I was tuning into who was I as a a 22 year old, 21, 22 year old coming fresh out of undergrad. Um, could I, could I hold my own emotional health and well being while going through the program in that way? And I just decided that the, I was being called to the spiritual direction component. So I engaged fully in that. And then in my second year of that program, I had an experience in January, January 24th um, of that second year that really just um, shook me to my core. Uh, It was, I classify it as a Kundalini experience, but oddly enough, we were in the spiritual direction program. We were doing a lot of different spiritual practices. Um, So we were doing yoga um, in the one class for that quarter. It was a Sufism class. So we were reading a lot of uh, Sufi poetry, like Rumi, Colin Barch's Rumi, uh, engaging in Sufi practices. My um, advisor was actually the Sufi sheikh, uh, uh, Rajiv Frazier, Bob Frazier in California, um, is head of that uh, division of Sufism, or that area, I should say. Uh, so he was teaching us about Sufism, and I was practicing a Sufi practice called the 99 Names, where you repeat one of the names of Allah or God, and you meditate on that name and what it means, because each of the 99 names has a specific meaning. 
And that day I was actually focused on Al Mumin, the uh, death, you know, and what is it? What is death? What is um, your thoughts and feelings around death? And, and you do the meditation several times throughout the day, which is uh, repeating it 99 times. And that evening I was engaged in, um, uh, I was a research assistant. So I was helping out another faculty member going over her research in Menlo Park. And uh, we were at a restaurant and I just was having these, I, I, I would see colors and colors seem more vibrant and my body was kind of tingling. I was starting to feel altered, you know, like something was, um, that was almost like a dreamlike quality mm. as I was doing this research. And then something hit my intestines. It was almost like I'd had bad food and everything just started going through me. And, and I was like, Hey guys, there's one other person there. I got to go, you know, we need to, I just, I can't be here anymore. There's something going on with my system. Maybe I had the flu, maybe something. I didn't know what was mm-hmm. going And from walking to the restaurant to the uh, parking lot, which was in back, my body had started shaking. Mm. And by the time we got to where the car was, I was shaking so bad I could barely walk. So I oh, they sat me down. Shaking while while standing up. That's that's why. Yeah, I was <laughs> I, and I had these rhythmic shaking from my center, from my waist down through my legs and up through my torso, throughout my arms, and. I was aware, I was conscious of where I was at at that time. And so they sat me down and they were talking to me. Uh, the person I was with, the, the faculty member I was with, also happened to be a Sufi practitioner. And she was like, why don't you say some of your, you know, the Sufi practices that you're doing? Because she knew I was doing those as well. And I skipped right from... Um, her recommendation to saying the phrase, there is no God, but God, um, in, in the, the, the Sufi, uh, I'm saying it wrong now. It's been so many years. I hate, but anyway, the phrase is there is no God, but God. Um, and it's like time stopped the shaking, everything just stopped. And I felt like I was connected to everything within a couple mile radius. Like I could feel people. I could feel cars. I could feel the structure of the landscape around me. It's like my boundary of self disappeared and I was connected to everything around me. And I was just weeping. I was just crying. Just, uh-huh. I was, you know, and, and laughing at the same time. <laughs> um, and she noticed and she's like, whoa, you are really out there. <laughs> you are, you're really having a big experience. Uh, maybe out there is not the right word. Uh, you're having a big experience. Uh, and she noticed also being a therapist, I was not in a condition to drive. <laughs> I just was not grounded. There's no way I could do. So they got me into their car and she had a key to a, a, another therapist from the school, his office. And so she took me to his office in the area and we spent about three hours <clears throat> of me processing. Um, and my body was shaking. I could not have told you where I was or where that office was. As soon as we got into the car and we started moving, I lost all sense of space. I lost all sense of time. Um <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. 
Um, and then while we were processing, um, the old grief of grieving my grandfather came up and I talked through that and processed that. And then there were these other memories that came up. And so she was holding space for me as the stuff was just getting burned through as mm. um, this continued. And after about three hours, she's like, you about done yet? <laughs> and, and at that point I'd gone through enough to where it, it closed and they ended up uh, driving me uh, back we were in San Francisco Bay Area, so uh, they drove me up to uh, Burlingame, where I, we was living with my wife at the time, and um, they dropped me off and said, "Yeah, he couldn't drive. We had to bring him home." Sorry, <laughs> no alcohol clothes. What did you mean by that? So when she said that, it it was as if it triggered something. Going, okay, we're done for now. And the shaking stopped, the processing stopped, mm. and I was brought back to again that sense of person, place, and time. I was mm-hmm. I was able I was able to be there in that moment, and um, I still was not great with space. I was still kind of dizzy and not fully grounded and centered. Um, it's a good, I think they made the right choice for driving me cause I would not mm-hmm. have been a safe driver at all. Um, so, and I, and I actually couldn't drive for a couple of months after wow. that experience. I, I just, the California traffic was too much. It was too fast. Mm-hmm. It was too overstimulating. There's a lot of changes. We'll get into the changes, but I had a lot of changes after that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that that's some that gives me chills. <laughs> you know, I had my my own experience and so much of that resonates. Um I think my, my awakening was also Kundalini awakening. I had those shakes and um felt that energy and I felt so connected to everyone and um I don't know if I I lost so much sense of time and space as you. I will say I think um at one point after my experience, um, I kind of lost, I, I was losing more sense of time and space. I, I was not eating and sleeping as much. I felt really energetic and not hungry. And um, I was kind of like leaving my stuff around campus and they're like, I'll find it later. And um, yeah, that, that's really interesting. And um, yeah, uh, so on my, my energy retreat that I went to a while back, um, you know, again, feel a lot of energy, um, not to the level of like the awakening, but in that, I think that, that, um, that, that energy goes through your body and it helps you connect with emotions that may be stuck and helps you get that out and also feel in this place of safety and, and feel good enough in your body to actually process that and work through that. And so other people that are in that, um, retreat, we would talk a lot about, um, stuff you're going through in life. And so I think there's something to that energy and then processing through um, emotions and experiences in the past, like, like you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's why it's important for people that have had these types of experiences to have a therapist who knows what they're talking about, who's open to these types of things, you know, whether it's a transpersonal therapist or a humanistic, spiritually oriented therapist, but somebody who's open to holding space for it um, is not going to bring their own judgment or classification to the experience, but really kind of hold space for you to 
or, or me or whoever to process whatever they're going through, the psychological component as well as the psycho-spiritual component. You know, the, um, yeah, I also had a therapist afterwards that was able to hold space and let me continue processing some of that, that grief that I had for my grandfather mm-hmm. and some of the other stuff that was coming mm-hmm. through. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, that's great. And one thing that's coming up in my mind is, um, you know, in, in psychology, we talk about uh, and spirituality, how you need to um, feel your feelings and but but not but not be them. So it's kind of from a secondhand perspective, and I think that experiences like that help us um, connect with a deeper part of ourselves. You could say, like our spirit, um, which you know, we would say is connected to, to, to the all. And in that experience is that opportunity to take one step back and deal with trauma that maybe before our body wasn't ready to process because we would just be lost in it and see ourselves as solely that. And so now in that experience, we can see a a bigger sense of ourselves and not get lost in that trauma and um, work through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 uh, I mean, you mentioned trauma, and I think that's a piece that sometimes uh, isn't talked about for STEers, spiritual transformative experiencers, or experiencers. Uh, The trauma of the experience. So, not only the trauma of prior to whatever we had going on in life, you know, for me, part of that was my grandfather's death. Um, but the trauma of the experience itself. So I came away, I walked away with a lot of trauma feelings around that experience. And I would get triggered into flashbacks. I would get triggered into um, kind of somatic sensations, uh, anxiety and panic when um, specific memories or feelings of being out of control in that way would come up. And I had a lot of work to do to resolve some of the, the kind of almost a PTSD type response from the Kundalini awakening experience. And I think that's important to know too, for a lot of people that, yeah, you might need to do some work around that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely for me, uh, you know, I went to the psych ward and I, I didn't know what that experience was. And, um, you know, I felt, during that experience I felt somewhat so connected and so loving and then kind of felt the opposite after, after um, going in the psych ward and being put on meds and stuff like that. And um, it was really hard. Um, I almost think of it kind of like a little bit of as an addiction. You know, I want, want that feeling back, want that experience back. Um, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know if withdrawals or something, but, but I do think, like you said, um, you know, in that experience, it kind of breaks our sense of self and our ego, you'd say. Yeah. And, you know, we're not, after that experience, you're not in that same level of connection. And um, so I guess you kind of lose a little bit of that um, greater sense of yourself. Um, And so, but you've also broken who you were before. So, it's kind of like unmooring. It's kind of like you lost your rock of who you are. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, it probably takes all, it takes work to figure that out again and, and, and kind of regain a little bit of sense of that greater self, but while still trying to operate in the everyday life and 
um, you know, not be so high in that as much as is, is that experience before. So just, yeah. I guess that middle ground. I use the word shattered. I felt mm. shattered. My sense of who I was, my belief about kind of reality and how much this fuzzy spiritual practice we were doing could affect physical reality. Um, and realizing that some of these practices can have a profound real world impact on our physical self. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it shattered my concept of um, both the practices, but who I was in the world. And I, and I had to reconstitute that I had to um, relearn who I was in the world and how I could function. And mm-hmm. part of that for me was some of these changes I was talking about. The I had a huge shift in eating patterns. I, I um, it was like night and day. You know, from one day to the next, I um, was craving high, high amounts of protein. I was drinking tons of orange juice, eating lots of bananas. Those were some of the ones I really remember. Um, and I and I remember you saying that you almost had the opposite. Uh, you didn't <laughs> want to eat. Right. I did. I did. I did eat a lot healthier when I did eat, but yeah, I ate a lot less. Yeah. So my metabolism completely shifted overnight. Um, and then I, I actually was eating probably five meals a day. Um, I was snacking on bars in between meals. I mean, I was constantly just taking in food. Um, my, yeah, just my sleep shifted and changed. I had, um, kind of a manic phase for the first week afterwards, I was not getting a whole lot of sleep and, mm. um, uh, journaling a lot, trying to, again, process a lot of the emotions yeah. and the thoughts and, mm-hmm. um, my fear about what was happening. Uh, and I think I wrote, I don't know, a hundred pages in my journal in a matter of days, you know, front and back. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I had the advantage though of being in a school of psychologists and therapists Mm. who were also practitioners. I had one person who was both an MD and a PhD that was also a specialist in Kundalini. Her name was Dr. Olga Luchakova. She actually came to my apartment and assessed me because I was, I continued to have Korea's the the body shaking for Mm couple of weeks afterwards, but in that week immediately afterwards, she came because I, I took a week and a half off of grad school. I just couldn't function enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so she came and she assessed me and said, Oh yeah, here's, here's what's happening. It's third chakra and head chakra. Or, you know, and she went off on um, what was going on. <clears throat> and I ended up working with her for a number of years after that, because of that. Um, and anyway, the advantage of having those people who knew what was going on, who could differentiate and say, this is not psychosis. It's not a psychotic break. You were fully conscious. It wasn't a seizure because you were fully conscious during it. Um, yes, you were in an altered state, but it was not a kind of a schizophrenic altered state. Mm-hmm. Uh, there weren't hallucinations. There weren't something like that. So they did all the assessment and they're like, yeah, that's not that. This is more like a spiritual awakening Kundalini experience. And having that context and be able to, ride through this in that context, I think I was very, very lucky. I don't think a lot of, there's a lot of people who don't get that. Um, had I not been in that context, I think I also would have gone to, you know, a psych ward until mm-hmm. things stabilized. 
and mm-hmm. and medicated. And I, and that's one thing about assist in training therapists and spiritual directors, uh, being able to notice and really pick these, pick up on these signs and say, um, yeah, let's differentiate psychosis from spiritual awakening. You know, this is what's, what's going on. And sometimes people do need to be grounded before they can re-enter and function. And sometimes that grounding does include medication and that's okay. That's okay. You do what you need to do in order to move forward. Mm, yeah. So how did your wife and your family take that, take your experience? My wife was really shook up. Um, we didn't have kids yet. And on, I don't know if you want to call it synchronicity, but the week that my experience happened was the same week we conceived with my oldest child or our mm-hmm. first child. Um, that he would have been implanting or she would have been implanting in her uterus at that time. So maybe TMI there, but point being, um, the fact that it was the very same week and she didn't find out that she was pregnant until a month and a half to two months later, (laughs) um, you know, reflecting back, we go, Oh, that's when that happened. Mm. It was a kind of an interesting experience, yeah. but no, she was very shook up. Um, she was in contact with her parents and there was a, a bit of a, Oh my God, what did I marry into? Cause we'd gotten married. Yeah. Year and a half before that. So it was, it was a new marriage, you know, we're still married mm-hmm. today, right. you know, 25 years later, but, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was harrowing for her to watch me go through that and try and figure out how to support, there was also the fear that, you know, she was the financial support. I was mm-hmm. in grad school and now this mm-hmm. weird thing with this husband is happening. And it's like, Oh my gosh, do I need the support? How, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm pregnant to, to, you know, <laughs> top it off. Um, so we had stuff to work through and, and I, but I think that was a piece of it that was grounding for me too, was, um, uh, coming back to there were real world things I needed to focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that was getting ready for the baby. And so mm-hmm. after the first several months that helped me ground for several months, mm-hmm. I was very, I was still, still pretty ungrounded. Um, I was back in school probably two to three weeks later. And um, I think I also mentioned to you, I had a kind of a ripple experience one month afterwards my uh, father-in-law took me to a uh, baseball game up in San Francisco. And during the baseball game, I had a reemergence of the shaking and had a, uh, electricity felt like it went through from the base of my spine, kind of up through my spine, then through my right shoulder and through my right eye. And I woke up the next morning after that, able to see 2020 vision without my glasses, but with uh, light sensitivity and have had photosensitivity, uh, uh, photosensitivity, photosthesia ever since. So, wow. um, but after about a week, week and a half that my eyes returned back to normal and I started wearing my glasses again, but I had to wear sunglasses. It was just, t- everything was too bright. Hmm. Wow. And I know in my awakening experience, I, uh, I told you, I at one point I looked at the sun in mid-afternoon and it didn't, it didn't bother me and all the clouds around it kind of just disappeared. And um, 
and and for a while afterwards i would kind of look at places where the sun would be like shining off cars or different stuff like that and i'll kind of like dilate my eyes and really focus on it and i felt like it was giving me more energy or something or it was like fascinating to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah um light and energy uh it's been an interesting relationship ever since then um i burn out watches i, I have burned out watches ever since then all the time it's hard for me to um well, for probably about 20 years, I, I couldn't wear watches because I wow. people would buy me a watch, you know, for as a present and I'd wear it for a month or two and it would burn out and I'd take it in to get fixed. And they're like, well, we don't know what's wrong. We can't fix it. It's not the battery. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, your battery's dead, but it's not just the battery. Wow. Yeah. I know, you know, from reading near death experiences that a lot of people um, have issues with technology and it goes wonky or, or they, some people even have to like move out in the country and be away from uh, technology. It really messes with them. Yeah. Yep. Light bulbs going out, computer problems, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a lot of problems with external tech, like um, environmental tech uh, or computers. Fortunately, I mean, I was in grad school. That would have been really bad. I wouldn't have wanted to write, you know, my dissertation by hand. That would have been horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, did did you feel afterwards, obviously, kind of like a different person, and was that hard to reconcile, like, with your wife and other people who knew you? Yes and no. Um. I think they were shifting and uh, yeah, there were differences, but I was still the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was more of an expanded self. Uh, fortunately, she was also spiritual in nature and willing to grow and, and go with the, go with the flow. Uh, we did a lot of yoga together. Um, we were in yoga classes on that second, my second year um, together. And so I think that helped not only because we had stuff that we did together, but it gave a framework and, you know, giving Kundalini yoga as the framework. Mm-hmm. And she could also talk to the yoga teachers and get some of that framework as well. She was raised Catholic, but wasn't a devout um, mm-hmm. or conservative Catholic. It's more liberal and, um, more spiritual in nature, but uh, yeah. So uh, I think I lucked out there that she was willing to flow with that. I don't think I had such a large personality shift that it was real difficult. Mm -hmm. I know that's not the case for everyone. Uh, Some Mm -hmm. people have really large shifts and it, and it hurts their marriages. We were also in a new marriage. So she, we were still figuring each other out. Right, right. So, uh-huh. uh, it wasn't so well established. That, yeah. No, if it had been a 20-year marriage already and we had our mm. established roles and kind of personality traits and, and established ongoing arguments, <laughs> as <laughs> couples tend to get, uh, then, then I think that would have been a different. Um, so when I did my, my dissertation, as you, you know, was on near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
when I, I when I did a lot of the background research for that, there's a lot of research that shows anecdotal and and some research that shows the the way that couples break up, you know, especially if when one partner partner changes and it's a divergent change and they really are going on different paths, then that, you know, separates people if, if the other one's not willing to f- go with the flow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, and it's hard to know, was it me not eating and sleeping? Was it the meds? Was it the experience itself? Although I don't, I wouldn't say it's the experience itself, but my brain was really slowed down and I was thinking very simple after, after the experience. But I say, I don't think it was the experience itself because I went a month afterwards. Um, but it's hard to know, but, uh, I kind of had to obviously recuperate and, um, I guess regain more of my (laughs) brain capabilities. But I definitely think that ever since, Ever since then, I, th- I think growing up, my brain was always going very fast, and there was a lot of anxiety and um, overthinking and stuff like that. And uh, I kind of, I kind of felt like a, a different person. And um, even thinking about my life before my experience, it kind of all felt hazy, like it was a different, different life <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think that over time, they that that me before that experience became more clear and um, yeah, more integrated. So yeah, it's just interesting to consider all that. Yeah. It was definitely for me a defining moment. Uh, developmentally, you know, we're going, th- you know, it's going through development and progression and growing from childhood all the way till, you know, our late years, you know, that's not just childhood development, but we're developing in our teens, we're developing in our twenties. And so there's some normal developmental processes that are happening during that time um, as we become independent and partner up and whatnot. So I think it's normal for there to be some development, but for myself looking back on that, so I, I can see where I was going through some of those normal developmental changes, but this is kind of that, that um, piece that was a defining shift in um, well, both in my pursuit of religious and spiritual practices before this, you know, I was on the track to be, I mean, and I did get certified as a spiritual director, uh, spiritual guidance uh, certification. And, but my personal practice, what I really pulled back from, so in the years leading up to it, I was hitting the meditations really hard. I was hitting the, you know, the, every practice they would throw at us and say, here, try this. You know, we did Theravada Buddhism for a while. We did, um, you know, the Sufism, we did different things. And I hit everyone with, you know, everything I had. After this experience, I was much more tentative. Hmm. And I would, I would enter into whatever practice they were teaching us at the time. But, I was also very conscious and aware of what was going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. How was it activating these energies? How was it triggering some of the PTSD pieces? Mm. Uh, I think that's another defining piece is after this, I had um, struggles with the, that triggering and the panic that would come up. Um, mm-hmm. I also, uh, because of that experience of the lightning going through my right eye ended up with a lot of vertigo. So mm. when I would get in high spaces and I developed a fear of heights, so I would get in high spaces and I would start to have panic. Mm. Um, and that's something that, 
even in the past five years, I've really had to work with, um, and, and successfully so, but, um, so that means for (laughs) over 20, 25 years, I've had fear of heights and, Mm. and it, piece of that stems from that one experience of that lightning going through my right eye mm-hmm. and this vertigo and this sense of space uh, as another mm-hmm. piece of it. I, I would enter into an airport or a high rise building and it's like, I could feel the space of the area mm-hmm. that would um, trip me out. It would mm-hmm. trigger my anxiety. Wow. Whereas before so that experience, that you- it didn't. All right. Do you think that, that you were you were worried about uh, doing these spiritual practices and that triggering another experience? That's one piece of it. Yeah. So one pe- one reason I pulled back from some of the experiences, the the really um, strong practices, was I didn't want to trigger more Kundalini and or you know whatever tradition you want to call it. Um, I know mm-hmm. uh, Sheikh Fraser had their had his own language for it. Um, he said, oh, yeah, that, it should have happened to you. You were focusing on your meditation on death that day. So, yeah, <laughs> parts of you were going to die. And so mm. he, just, he would go into that spiel. And um, so I, I think that language, I, I get it. But the Kundalini fit more for me and just how mm-hmm. I understood and how I felt in the experience. So I use the Kundalini language. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, did fear triggering um, more of those experiences and, and pulled back. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, after, you know, I can't, kind of came down from my experience, um, you know, I felt very disconnected. But um, years later, when I started my spiritual journey, I started um, meditating again. And um, I was trying to astral travel for a while and. I started feeling that the Kundalini energy again and that it scared me because I was like, Oh, is that going to put me back in that experience? Am I going to be ungrounded? Am I going to not be able to function and and do normal life? Um, But you know, nothing like that happened. And um, I got used to that, the energy and now it's just kind of a part of my Mm. daily life. And uh, yeah. So, so I, I understand you to a certain extent for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you get used to it. Um, it's for me, it tapered off, but it's every now and then would kick up again. If you're, if I was doing something in particular, but the the meditation, different altered state work um, would definitely kick it up. And but I became more used to holding that energy, more used mm-hmm. to, um, oh yeah, this isn't going to be bad. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to worry about ending up where I was. And right. so I was able to hold it a bit better. Uh, I, I never returned to the levels of the big experience mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So would you say now, like, was that experience good or bad or a mix or. I think it was a mix. Mm-hmm. I think it was a mix. Um, there's a lot of writing about us Western and in my case, white people that dabble in Eastern traditions and get burnt. And I wasn't intentionally dabbling in an Eastern tradition, but it kind of feels like that type of experience. Hmm. Um, Getting burnt because they don't have the, the context and maybe the safety or the 
exactly. understanding what might happen. Yeah, you're you're not growing up in an ashram or a, or a temple or something doing meditations from the time you're five years old to hold the space and the context within your vessel, your human vessel, mm-hmm. to have these types of energies burn through it, right? Um, which I think in some of the Eastern traditions, not just people from the East, but I'm talking about people that are in ashrams that are, you know, focused mm-hmm. on doing this work. They have the context of what to expect and they're learning the theoretical components and all that. And I didn't have that. So when it hit mm-hmm. me, um, there's some Western white dude that's <laughs> in their twenties having this experience that blows them out of the water and, um, was, was completely unprepared, mm-hmm. but I was given the framework because of the school I was in. Right. Which again, I was lucky for that, but, uh, yeah. So that answer the you, question. I kind of lost track. Yeah, no, that that was great. I appreciate it. Um, do you, do you feel like that happened to you for a reason or do you think that, um, do you think that like you kind of spurred on that experience or was that God giving you that experience or how, how do you, how do you yeah, think about that? That's, um, that's a great question. Um, and I think tied into the question you just asked about it was it was it beneficial or detrimental, mm-hmm. good or bad? Um, and that, I think that's hard to say because sometimes <laughs> things that feel bad are ultimately good. Because, mm-hmm. for example, right. I, I processed a lot of that grief and stuff around my grandfather. Um, horrible to go through, just like if you're doing trauma work, but mm-hmm. necessary. Right. Um, so there were good components and, and hard components of it. Uh, like, like the uh, PTSD trauma piece mm-hmm. and the height anxiety and stuff. Um, was it given to me? Did I pursue it myself? Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of both ends. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that's hard to answer. Mm-hmm. I feel less sure about, <laughs> what I think God knows and does now mm-hmm. than I ever used to. <laughs> uh, was it, was it grace being bestowed, you know, like a grace experience? Was it something from another dimension, another from God, from an, so, coming down and touching me? Or was it because of my practices and emerging within me, you know, top down or bottom up? Mm-hmm. Yes. To both. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I definitely didn't, ask for it. It wasn't like I said, please give me this experience. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I heard about the experiences, even from the first days of our school, you know, we were prepped for in grad school, Hey, things might happen. And they would describe worst case scenarios. I thought, I don't want that one. You know, of all these different experiences we can have in grad school, there's one I don't want. And it was a Kundalini experience. So possibly by saying I didn't want that put me on a trajectory to actually have it. Um, <laughs> thanks, whoever's up there. Um, so it's hard to say. I mean, I, I was doing the practices. I was engaged. So there was definitely mm-hmm. a piece of me that was doing and mm-hmm. active and pursuing and opening and, and doing that. But I also know, having done this work for quite a while and worked with a lot of people who've had different spiritual experiences, sometimes people do that work for years and years and years and years, decades, and never Mm -hmm. have an experience. Mm -hmm. So why was it that I did and somebody else did? I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. 
I don't right. see myself as more special than anyone else that's been doing these practices for a long time. That's not definitely not the case. Right. It's just, I, it's almost like I was, I was standing in the wrong spot when a truck came by and hit me, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think back to my, my own experience, uh, the semester leading up to the experience, I was really trying to work on my mental and spiritual health and get close to God. And, um, yeah, and uh, there was there was a song I listened to a lot. Um, it's called "Oceans" by Hillsong United, and it's um, kind of talking about uh, when Jesus was on the water and uh, walking on the water, and then he asked Peter to come out um, to walk on the water with him, and Peter had to keep his eyes on him, and when he took it off, he started sinking. Um, mm, yeah. The words are something like "Take me deeper than," um, uh, yeah, just, just trusting trusting Jesus and take me deeper in my faith and, and growth and stuff like that. And obviously it's scary. It's, it's something very supernatural and, and, and different. And I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for something supernatural. I was just looking for a deeper faith and to have, to have faith. And, um, and so I wasn't exactly look, looking for that experience, but uh, I was looking for, for, for uh, healing and growth and uh, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Somebody said, okay, here you go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, before you move on, one of the things about that is uh, looking back at my own period in the evangelical church and then getting into yoga, there's what's called bhakti yoga, which mm-hmm. is the heart-based love yoga, um, which the two feel so similar. It's that mm. when I was in the evangelical church, that love and heart based focus in the tradition when it was at its best, um, f- felt very similar. So I don't know if there was some, some kind of bhakti yoga going on beforehand, um, mm. before even getting landing in the school and starting to do some of the other practices and, Kind of that opening of the heart chakra, heart center. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you mentioned, you know, God and, and being less sure about what he does and all that, you know, mm-hmm. I guess the conceptual understanding of him. Um, after your experience, did your beliefs change? Yes. Yes. Um, so before the experience... I thought I had a pretty good grasp of people would go to church or not do religious experiences and, you know, engage and do their prayers, you know, do nighttime meditation or prayers. Meditation made you feel good, kind of relax the body and mind. Mm-hmm. But that was about it, you know, and the rest was kind of up to what happened on the other side of the veil, mm. you know, um, and I would say I probably was more deity oriented then than I am today. Deity more oriented. deity, God, oh gotcha, uh, gotcha. you know, mm-hmm. um, a a being. Um, and so the belief was um, that God had it in hand. God, God was in charge. After the experience my holy heck, what was that (laughs) Uh, made me realize the 
again, like going back to what I was saying, the impact that some of these practices can have on our physical world. It's like the mm. veil wasn't there the same way. That barrier uh, between yeah. worlds was torn asunder mm-hmm. and the energies flowed into this world and something happened that was completely unexpected and, and mm. scary at, in the experience, you know, right. and even the after effects, very scary at times, most of the time until I was grounded and, and healing from it. And so um, I, I garnered a bit of a fear of some of the experience or the, some of the practices and less certainty about somebody being in charge <laughs> in a way. Uh, but I still, I was still uh, God focused. I was still mm-hmm. had the, the awareness and, and belief in God. Uh, my questioning that more has been more in the past 20 years, so much later in life, um, just kind of more pantheistic, I was pantheistic as well, integrating kind of my pantheism into uh, deism. Uh, but past 20 years, I've been more pantheistic, I think. Than- yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, like during my experience, I would I was saying a lot, like God is in everything and, um, you know, feeling that connection. And um, the, again, like you said, that the veil between the spiritual and the physical world was broken and uh saw saw the universe in a different different light and yeah i have talked to in different people in different ways uh, a lot on this podcast kind of about that that view and um i i i do like panentheism um which is more, more god is above all things but also within all things but mm-hmm. you know the more I, I talk about it and explore I'm not sure I see such a difference between pantheism and panentheism. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open. And, and so it is yeah. really interesting. I, I think that, you know, in the study, in my studies and seeing mystics and different people who have these experiences, um, I think they, a lot of times have these kind of realizations and um, it's, it's just funny because you grew up already being connected to the spiritual world um, and like you said, maybe having this pantheism view, but, um, after the experience, I guess maybe, maybe it moved from, um, more conceptual to a more experiential, like this is real. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I experienced it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, that it's not just something to think about. It flows through. It's interesting you say that you were, before your experience, focused kind of on the God is in everything. Well, no, that that was during my experience. Oh, during um, okay. B- before, you know, I think a lot of Christians, um, yeah, kind of, what well, my, my friend Josh says is they're, um, they're Christian dualists. <laughs> so they're like, the spiritual world is here, physical world is here, God can come down and make changes when he wants, but besides that they're, they're, they're separate. Um, yeah. and so afterwards is more like God is, God is in any, everything is within us and he, he does work, but he also does it through us and, and we have a part to play too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe like what you're saying, like, is God so in control? I, I think that, you know, we, we have this free will to choose and, uh, you know, 
it's all interconnected. Yeah. <laughs> the the top down and above, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the reason it stood out for me is because I would say in the especially the year leading up to my experience, this this particular experience, I was really focused on that um, feeling. It wasn't just conceptual. It was the feeling mm-hmm. and doing meditations on mm-hmm. the divine being mm-hmm. in everything, being mm-hmm. in the tree stump, as well as the tree that was just cut down, as well as mm-hmm. that tree there that's intact, as well as that person walking by, as well as the sidewalk, as well as just infusing the entire mm-hmm. world, creating the sunsets, you know, as the creator, Mm-hmm. just being being surrounded in that and so that's the mental space i was in when i went mm-hmm. into my experience and and the belief state i should say um i was mm-hmm. in and i and i held that belief state but it came with an oh shit <laughs> 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 um and you know I'm, I'm i'm not saying i don't believe in god now it's mm-hmm. just I feel more removed, more um, – I'm focusing more on the – well, two things. More on the um, God is in everything around me piece. Right. right. Um, but also I think that my clinical practice impacted me because I became so heady. Mm. Um, since 2015 going through the clinical mental health um, yes there's the integration of spirituality into counseling the counseling practice in particular but i have felt a personal shift in my practices that i have felt more distant Mm. even though i'm doing meditations even though you know I, i don't do them as much i don't do a lot of my practices as much as i used to Mm-hmm. You know, building a pra- building my practice and building up my clientele and all that. So I just personally, there's been a shift for me. I wouldn't say it's a dark night um, experience, but um, you know, in the, in the Christian or Catholic tradition, you know, dark night of the soul. Um, I have, I think I've gone through periods of that, but it feels adjacent to that in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I feel that there's going to be a shift in in the future back towards. And I think I'm even maybe mm. in that. I think this podcast and us in connecting, maybe a piece of that shift mm. for That's me great. again, mm-hmm. you know, um, a piece of, you know, maybe going a little bit mu- too much into history with uh, transfers. I was in academia for 20 years, mm-hmm. but when the school ITP fell apart and got sold and all the faculty were fired, I was actually the last remaining faculty in the the global distance program um, for a year after all the other faculty had been fired, let go. Um, That was a very traumatic experience and made me think I didn't want anything to do with transpersonal stuff anymore for Mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. And so that, that pain I pushed, it became associated and I pushed away from Mm -hmm. not um, from the practices put it that way. Mm. And I, and I went more heady. Right. Yeah. I think, um, hmm. I'll say that after my experience, you know, feeling very disconnected, um, I just kind of went away from religion and thinking about spirituality, all that stuff for a while. Um, cause my experience kind of blew my, 
beliefs out of the water and I didn't know what to make of my own experience. And then my spiritual journey, I think I started to regain um, an understanding or a new understanding of who God was and theology and all that stuff. Um, I, I will be completely honest to that. So I'll say this. There's a, there's a author um, named Paul Smith and, um, he kind of talks about Christianity and, and awakening and a uh, new way of thinking about it. And, um, you know, uh, a big part of Christianity is the Trinity. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, he calls sure. it the three faces of God, God above, God beside us, and God within us. And so I think um, since my experience, I really have that sense of God within us very – it's a lot stronger than it was before. And – you know, God within all things, but God, God above us, um, and kind of talking to God as if he's a person above, above me is, um, I would say not as strong as it was before. And sometimes that bothers me. And sometimes I'm like, is that better or worse? Or I don't know. Um, am I missing something that, so uh, I, I, under, I understand what you're saying. Um, and there's been times in my spiritual journey where I was trying to figure things out and I got very heady. And so I'm trying now to um, find that balance between the practice and the relationship and the, the intellectual and the thinking about it and all that stuff. So I, th- I think they're both good in their, their context. Uh, I'm just trying to balance it all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that actually um, also matches something I uh, learned from the Kundalini tradition, which is that you can awaken from any one of the chakras. It's like the 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 original um, original um, most often held belief is that energy goes from base chakra up through the shashamana right. to the crown, and that's the awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not considered the only awakening. There are some people mm-hmm. who go through the heart chakra being blown open. That's the awakening that awakens the whole system. But mm-hmm. you can also do that through second chakra, third chakra, fifth chakra, you know, um, which I always found fascinating. Yeah. That, so thinking of those three different gods, you know, um, mm-hmm. in, in the, this tradition, you can become awakened it, in many different ways. Mm. Just the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And, and on my spiritual journey, the last few years I've, um, I felt like I've had experiences and worked through different chakras and, um, you know, sometimes it's been painful. Sometimes it's been euphoric and I feel like I've had mm-hmm. kind of more opening of, of these chakras. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fun journey. It's, and you know, it's not, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's painful, but I know ultimately it's, it's a good thing because it's working through, um, pain and, and trauma and working through healing to spur on growth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, is there, is there anything else that you'd like to cover or, or say? Wow. Um, you know, I, I think that having gone through my experience, I mean, it, it, 
led me to other, you know, that's the reason why I did my dissertation on near-death experiences, um, kind of down that trajectory. And we'll get more into that, I think, in, in the other time when we're talking about near-death experiences and my grandmother's experience and all that. Um, but it also led me to assist and working with assist and presenting on really engaging with this idea of um, not just the integration process, but there's different types of experiences. You know, some Mm -hmm. people have one big experience in their life and nothing else. Other people have multiple small experiences throughout their life. Some people have small experiences that lead to a big experiences, big experience, and then might have several others. You know, that feels a little bit more like mine. Other people will have one big experience and then kind of taper off and then another big experience taper off, you know? So there's lots of different ways for them to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all, they all need integration. They don't all need professional help for integration. Some people have an experience. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. They have growth and development and they're fine. Great. Mm-hmm. I love that for you, whoever you are. <laughs> That's, you know, kudos. That's wonderful. But not everybody does. Some people have experiences where there's a lot of difficulty involved, whether it's internal um, for themselves, their own thoughts and emotions and spiritual practice and whatever, whether it's structural, external, family, they end up in, you know, a psych ward or hospital. You know, they there are impacts to external social structures, school, work, and they have to deal with those impacts, you know, so there might be integration around that. So the integration process can look very different depending on how traumatic it is, which version of, you know, whether it's a bunch of small leading to a big, a bunch of bigs, whatever, um, and differentiating mental health pieces with the spiritual piece is really important. Uh, and, and why I think places, things like, you know, assist and also there's different counseling um, organizations mm-hmm. and in the APA organizations there as well that focus on spirituality and psychology because mm-hmm. having space to go through, is this a panic disorder or is it panic disorder and something else? Mm-hmm. Or is it just something else? You know, right. it affects treatment and how you integrate and how you work and what type of team you put together. Do you have a therapist and a spiritual director? Do you have, you know, somebody that's a psych a psychiatrist on board helping you with meds? You know, what it just, it, it impacts the type of team you put together. Um, mm-hmm. right. And so. I mean, that's my own journey as well and training under Elizabeth to become a spiritual coach and help people who've had these experiences. And um, of course, you know, if they have um, mental, mental health issues and they need a therapist and definitely will um, refer them and, you know, they might just go see them. They uh, might see us both in tandem, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important work and it's, very dear to my heart. Well, and there's something valuable about the coaches and also peer support uh, that helps reduce the stigma, right? Mm. It's like, oh, I'm not going to the therapist. I'm not going to mm. a psychiatrist, you know, but I will talk to, you know, my friend over here. 
That's mm-hmm. my, my peer support or my coach, you know, spiritual coach. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel very different and is critical to, to helping overcome a lot of the stigma. And so I value the work that you guys are doing with that yeah. in that respect. Yeah, I appreciate it. Same, same to you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, oh yeah, what you're saying, um, you know, we had really big experiences and like you said, you're like, I don't think I'm someone special or someone may practice these experience, these, um, spiritual practices for a long time and not have a big experience. I would say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not special that it happened to me. It's actually because I was so unhealthy that I needed an experience to, to get me over the hump to, to get healthier. And of course that took a, took a long time too. Um, but ultimately it was a good thing. And so I think there are some people who, you know, like you said, they, they just gradually grow and heal over time and they don't need any big experiences. And maybe that's because they're more healthy than I, I was. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I, I hope people don't get the, you know, that sense of like, oh, they had a really big experience and, you know, they're special or, or they think they're more special than, than me. So as we all have our own journey, our own way of yep. going about it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, it's been really enjoyable. Thank I really you, appreciate Andy. you and you sharing and opening them up uh, and your, your, your expertise and your experience with helping others in this. Yeah. Thank you, Kendall, for inviting me into this space and taking the time to hear about my story. And for all of you listeners for taking the time to listen to the story. I hope it's been valuable in some way, but uh, thank you all. Uh, Your presence and your listening is a gift. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I look forward to our next conversations about near death experiences. Sounds good. 